Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guests on the show are Chris and Heather Widener. Chris and Heather are a power couple in climbing and have been for the better part of a decade. They both climb really hard in a variety of styles. Chris has ticked off more than 20 514s and recently did the first ascent of a new 13B multi-pitch trad route that he and his partner Bruce Miller established on the Diamond on Long's Peak, which tops out at over 14,000 feet. We talked about his experience with that route a bit in the interview. Heather has also climbed a handful of 514s, including China Doll, a 14A trad route near their home in Boulder, Colorado, and we talked about that one as well. Chris and Heather are also among the kindest people I have met, and it was delightful to chat with them. They are both Nibar wizards, having spent a lot of time in the Hurricane and in Rifle, among other places, and we had what might be the geekiest conversation about Nibarring that's ever happened on a podcast. We also talked about projecting. Heather especially has a deep affinity for putting a lot of tries into a hard project, and they both shared some of their tips and philosophies about projecting. And we had some real talk as well. I was curious how they balanced climbing together versus pursuing their individual climbing goals, and that led to a pretty interesting conversation as well. So there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, a lot of humor, and some pretty deep conversation as well. So I recommend sticking with it, even if rock crawling just isn't your thing. That's an e-barring reference, in case you were wondering. I should also mention that both of them are injured right now, Heather with a broken finger and Chris with a shoulder injury. We talked about both of those injuries in the episode. Luckily, they are both on the mend and should be back to climbing by March of this year. So wishing both of them a quick and full recovery. I'm sure you will be back to climbing on your projects very soon. Okay, thank you all for tuning in. And please enjoy my conversation with Chris and Heather Widener. Heather, tell me about your finger. Oh my gosh. Yeah, did you just see this? <laughs> I just saw it. I saw it on Instagram today right before oh, I came over here. It was awful, actually. Um. Well, it was fun. We had a, a really fun getaway at um, Shelf Road. Yeah. And we've been hermits, you know, with COVID. We haven't really gone anywhere. And Chris has had an injured shoulder. So we were climbing, had this really great weekend, but it was super cold on Sunday. And um, I wanted to try to on-site uh, the French are here. What's that? Uh, this 12, is it the, the, the French are here? Yeah. 12C um, at the Cactus Cliff. And... I was feeling great, um, getting through some pockets. My right fingers, middle and uh, index, were in this like really small, kind of sharp, shallow pocket. And I made this like really big move to a left-hand edge, mm -hmm. and my fingers, my right fingers, got stuck in the pocket. And That's so, my nightmare. Yeah, like hyperextended. And I got through the next move, and uh, and then fell on the onsite. Like I missed this other pocket. But it really hurt. But I was like, well, it's cold. Everything hurts usually anyways. And so I just like 
kept climbing and then I like lowered. I tried the the crux one more time with the broken <laughs> finger and I was like oh, the same which, move which I didn't know was broken. Same move. <laughs> did it, lowered, rested for 5 minutes cuz it was cold and then red pointed the root. And and I was like this hurts a lot but whatever. And then that evening it just like swole up and got oh, black and damn. blue. Yeah. yeah. And then I had an x-ray yesterday and just found out this morning that it's fractured oh seriously yeah oh man yeah i can see your splint i in... know it's such a bummer yeah yeah so <laughs> that's amazing you... though that you still red pointed the route yeah. i don't think you mentioned that in your instagram post oh gosh i guess i'm just like a glutton for punishment but yeah a uh, testament to beware of the pockets yeah <laughs> how long is the recovery supposed to be i think like six to eight weeks damn i know super bummer but um hopefully i can like do a little bit you know and certainly work on my weighted pull-ups that have a lot of yeah a lot of room for improvement there so is it comforting to be in it together <laughs> oh it's sad <laughs> because i feel injured. like chris is like on the he's like <clears throat> on the up and up and he's like almost we were actually planning like oh where we're we gonna go in february yeah. and all these things and he's on on the way to recovery and then i'm like i'm broken <laughs> damn it <laughs> well we still have march <laughs> yeah there's march <laughs> there's march i think you'll be fine maybe we'll both actually be healthy by then yeah that would be great <laughs> but yeah very i mean all in all like small things right with yeah. covid and we're really lucky but it is kind of a bummer not gonna lie <laughs> yeah 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 being injured is always hard yeah even if it's a finger yeah maybe especially if it's a finger <laughs> so we brought up before we started rolling here i was we were talking about john glassberg and uh i just did an interview with him recently and of course you you know him well chris he filmed with you on the diamond recently and I was telling him, this is after we finished recording, I was telling him that I was going to be talking to both of you and asking him and Jess what I should ask you guys about. And John said, you have to ask him about his drink numbers. <laughs> <laughs> How many alcoholic drinks have you had this year? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Well, so... Do you know the exact number? Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it actually sounds like a lot when you add it all up. I've had 417 this year. Okay. Um, and this is kind of like, I'm sitting next to a, like a third of a glass of wine. That's like 417.5. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a long story and a boring story, but basically, um, yeah, a, a number of years ago, I started counting my drinks and I just wanted to average a certain number per year. And this is actually the first year in like nine years that I haven't set a limit for myself oh i'm still counting okay just because i'm curious but but this is the one year i haven't had a limit but starting january 1st um my goal be to average just four a week which to some will probably sound like not much to others it'll be like a lot so for yeah. me that would be fine that's a significant reduction from this year it is it because like this half. year is like like eight yeah. on average yeah yeah so yeah john thought he remembered that you you reduce the number, the limit number by seven every year. Is that something that you're not true? Not true. Okay. Um, I was bringing it down by one or two or three, like basically brought it down to five for the last few years. Okay. Except for this year, like I said. Oh, per week. Per week. Yeah. And then next year will be four. Okay. And then we'll just take it from there. Okay. See, see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. 
Chris is really analytical in that way. I know. Like super type A. This is why I'm fascinated. Yeah. And I just am, I don't have that in my character. How, yeah. What is, does it affect how you drink or? No. Any, yeah. Not at all. Okay. I, yeah. Sometimes I get annoyed. Like I'll be like, do you want to have a glass of wine with me? And he'd be like, oh, I can't because I'm going to you know extend my it's, it's over my drink count for the week so what does the month of december look like on a year when you are counting and have a limit <laughs> that's a good question um because normally it's kind of down to the bitter end right so yeah normally i'd say december is my least um the month that i imbibe the least do you just s- by necessity do you save a couple for christmas um i try but not always <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think the last couple of years I've had to kind of take the last 10 days or so off and then wait until after midnight on January 1st. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Was that last New (laughs) Year's? The last two or three, actually. Yeah. He would have to wait until midnight until he could start drinking. (laughs) Yeah. And then what? Just catch up with everybody else? No. I mean, I think I would have like one. I think last year and the year before I had one after midnight. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not too crazy. That is so interesting. Um, (laughs) Tell me about your New Year's resolutions and goals. You know you have them already written out, Chris. (laughs) Well, okay. So I always have climbing goals that I write down. Yeah. Um, I haven't decided on my list for sure, like the final list for 2021. As far as routes specifically? Yeah. Well, as far as climbing goals in general. Okay. They're not all routes. I mean, I have other things like, like one of my favorite goals from this this year that I'll also have for for next year is um, to climb like three multi pitch routes with people I've never climbed with before. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's or really, or that I haven't really climbed multi pitch routes with before, yeah. and that was fun to just kind of be more open to like, hey, I should do that because it's cool and that's yeah. one of the best parts about climbing anyway and i find that as i get into a routine and as i have a certain partner set that i stick to or tend to stick to it it's actually more interesting to make a goal like that so i'm like kind of push pushing myself toward reaching out a bit more hmm. that's i don't know that's he's just trying to not climb with his wife as much <laughs> Oh my gosh. Where did that come from? I'm just kidding. I think. <laughs> what about you? Do you have goals for the coming year? I Or what know, is your in general, what does your goal setting look like? So every year throughout the history of my climbing, I would set like one big, really big goal each year and then really work toward that. But um actually like since I don't know the past few years, I'd say that's kind of gone by the wayside. So I'm a lot more fluid hmm. and just kind of, um, adaptable. Um, basically I'd still like to really push myself, but I don't have anything like hard line. Like this is exactly what I want to do. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's, yeah. what was your goal for 2020? 2020? Yeah. This, past, um, this year that we're just wrapping up. You know, now. I didn't set one like this time of. 2019 uh and i just was fluid with it so um gosh it just kind of evolved like with the stay-at-home order with covid we were lucky enough to be hunkered down in moab and so 
um, I was able to climb my first 513 crack. So that oh, was really awesome. cool. Yeah. Um, and that was... What about China Doll? Um, well, I guess Splitter, like okay. Desert Splitter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Got you. Yeah. So that was really cool. That was a breakthrough. Oh, Great Red Roof is a... 513 crack but it's horizontal so it doesn't count <laughs> i count it <laughs> <laughs> but it was neat for for us because um it was a route that um was a first ascent chris got the first ascent but we had looked at this route like years ago on a trip we do the green river trip almost every year we, where we take boats down and kind of look for first ascent splitter cracks along the way amazing and uh so it was kind of like on our minds for years, but we always had other things going on. And so COVID was a really nice time to hunker down in the middle of nowhere, desert and where no one was climbing and, and yeah, get that it was done. Cool. Yeah, this this particular route is called Barbie Adventure Pack. I aided it <laughs> in um, 2017 and bolted the anchor. And then I had tried it. You had tried it maybe once or twice, but I had tried it probably four or five different days over the years, but mm. I knew I couldn't just show up and send it within a couple of days, which is what we always had on our green, green mm. river trip. Mm -hmm. So I knew I would need a time to devote to this thing. So, so yeah, when COVID hit, it was kind of perfect. We're the only ones at this cliff that had never been climbed at before. So mm. yeah, that was kind of nice. It got its name from our friend, Celine, who lifted up my pack, you know, like your packs are super heavy for first ascents with all the bolting gear and, and, you know, all the track gear and things. And he picked up my pack and he said, that's a Barbie adventure pack. And I was like <laughs> complaining at how heavy it was <laughs> anyways. So that stuck. <laughs> Fantastic name. I would love to ask about both of your early climbing and kind of your paths through climbing and then ultimately towards each other. Cause you do such a range of things. I mean, it's, it seems like you, Heather, maybe still focus mostly on sport climbing, but you've done a ton of hard track climbing, China Doll. Um, and Chris, it seems like you've, you still do that as well and have a massive resume, but are maybe gravitating more towards things like the thing you just put up on the diamond or, or maybe you like to do a mix. But yeah, I'd love to hear about kind of the early climbing. Maybe let's start with you, Heather. Yeah. Um, so I first started climbing at a boyfriend in undergrad who was really into it in Fort Collins, Colorado. I was trying to get into vet school and um, I was super busy, but he got me into climbing and I would get outside maybe once a month or so. And that was when I was 22. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just really didn't have time to climb much, even though I loved it because I was like working two jobs and in school. And then once I was in vet school, I was still working and vet school's crazy. Like you have zero time for yourself. So I would get to the gym maybe once a week and then outside maybe once a month. Um, but it wasn't until I graduated vet school in like 2007 and moved back to Vegas where I needed to work. Um, I had this scholarship through the state and I had to go um, back to the state that sponsored me for that and work for each year I was sponsored. So for four years. And once I was back in Vegas, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a climbing Mecca. Hmm. And I was only, I found a job that I worked four days a week instead of like busy every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, and the hours were really long, but I had three whole days off a week for myself. So that's when I really got into climbing. So when I was like 27 or 28, is when I hunkered down and I 
really got kind of linked in with the sport climbing crew there. And it's amazing. There are so many hard sport climbers in Las Vegas and particularly um, my friend, Bill Ramsey, he became kind of my mentor and he taught me how to project because I had never, I didn't know what projecting was. Yeah. Um, And he had the same days off as me. So every Tuesday, Thursday, we would go climbing together and he would take me to these like really hard chipped, like steep (laughs) limestone 1990s areas, you know, and uh, I would just like work my ass off to like try (laughs) these climbs, you know, for months until I finally did them. And so that was the beginning of my climbing is like, you just put your head down, put, put your time and work in and. So yeah, hard sport climbing kind of was my thing. And then, um, yeah, and then met Chris. um, And that was, what, nine years ago? Almost 10 years ago. And um, he really, like, helped me branch out Hmm. into different types of climbing. Going back, when I first started climbing, uh, I first went outside to Vitavu, Wyoming. Okay. So that was like, that was really hard. And my and boyfriend. kept climbing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was like really into off with climbing. And I somehow like still really thought it was cool. But once I found sport climbing, I was like, this is really cool. This is more like dance or something. Yeah. You know, like a choreography versus groveling. Did the really deep projecting thing resonate with you right away? Yeah, Is that it did. just all you knew, climbing the um, it, it did resonate with me because I like the idea of um, putting like all the pieces of a puzzle together. Like, mm. I think that's fun, like problem solving. And also I have, I have a dance background, so it's kind of like choreography. You're like, mm. uh, you learn each move and all of its intricacies and you try to perfect it. So that definitely resonated with me. But yeah, and then when Chris and I started climbing together and then when I quit my job is when I could like really pursue it and and it's been fun to branch out and do all sorts of different climbing too, not just be like an obsessive sport climber. Is that still the main thing? Um, yeah, I'd say it's the most fun for me. Yeah. But I like pushing myself with Trad too. I think it's so much more complex and mm. like mentally challenging. Yeah, and I love like not bouldering so much outside, but just to try to like feel stronger. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. You were saying that you guys have a little home wall now. Yeah. We're super COVID lucky. Wall. That was like our best investment and DDA Raba too built it for us. It's amazing. So, oh, so cool. Yeah. The past month I was just like only bouldering on 40 degree walls. And I feel like it, that kind of thing really helps me. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We're so, super lucky. Cool. And then Chris, you got your start more in the mountains. Um, it was a mix. I started off at this summer camp in the San Juan Islands in Washington, actually. Which that, camp? Uh, camp Norwester. Okay. I haven't heard of it, but I'm from that area. Oh, are you? Wait, yeah. are you? Yeah. I grew up in Wenatchee, but went to school in Bellingham. Okay. So, awesome. And have a lot of family in Seattle area and stuff. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it used to be on Lopez Island and now okay. it's on John's Island. But, um, anyway, at camp, they just had this natural rock as part of the camp property. And so that was one of the activities at camp was rock climbing. So I got to top rope on rock. And then they also had this optional big trip, they called it for the older campers where you could choose from a number of different things. And I chose the Mount Baker climb, which was a limited trip. They could only bring nine or 10 kids, but I got on it and 
and just loved it. So I was simultaneously introduced to rock climbing and mountains um, at the same time. And I loved them both. Came back to Seattle and for me at that moment, like rock climbing meant going to the vertical club, um, the, you know, the first climbing gym in America in the winter <laughs> or going to the university of Washington rock. They had this mm, outdoor mm -hmm. structure, you know, it. Mm -hmm. um, ahead of its time, I got to say it was built in the seventies <laughs> and it's still pretty rad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so that was climbing to me, but then I gradually met people and went to index for my first real outdoor climbing. And okay. then, um, I also was going to the North Cascades to just climb summits. You know, I, I was interested in climbing Mount Rainier and then in some of the more technical, smaller peaks in the Cascades and then certain routes in the Cascades on hard peaks. And yeah, so it was kind of this mix. I would, I guess eventually in the nineties, I got more into going to Smith and trying hard sport routes. And then in the spring, I'd like go to Alaska for a few weeks and try some Alpine route. And, um, yeah, so it was this, a uh, a big mix for me for a long time. And you were based in the Seattle area that whole time. I was based in Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Up until 2001. Okay. Yep. So gotcha. And how long have you, have you guys been here in Boulder? I've been here 19 years since okay. then. Yeah. So yeah, I've been here for eight years. Okay. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> you still love it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love living here. I do love my hometown of Vegas, though. Like, mm. it'll always be really special, but it's great because as climbers, you're just going where the weather is good, and we usually are there this time of year. So, get to like keep the roots, you know? Do you still have projects there? I'm sure you have tons of oh stuff. Oh my gosh, I'll always have projects in Vegas. Yeah. There are so many hard climbs there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, it's great. So as much different stuff as you guys have done, it's it's really tempting for me to put you in a, a pretty narrow category as like the knee bar wizards. <laughs> more than anything else, I think of you guys as both the total knee bar wizards. And Chris, you and I connected over the last couple months actually because of that, I was trying a root and rifle called Soup Nazi, uh, a 13D put up by Tommy Caldwell back in like the 97, I think. And my friend Yasna, our friend, our mutual friend Yasna connected us because she's like, I think Chris did it recently and I think he used a knee bar and you should just ask him. And the conversation that ensued was just fascinating. And I actually, we <laughs> joked about doing a podcast yeah, and right true. now I want to do that. I want to have the geekiest knee bar beta conversation that's ever happened on a podcast. Sure you use like Sweet. eight knee bars on Soup Nazi. <laughs> oh yeah, I used a lot. And we don't have to talk about Soup Nazi, but you, we got into a conversation about the ingredients, like the, the different products that you have to buy, you know, the methodology of like shaving the thigh and then the spray adhesive and all this stuff. I remember... Um, I'm good friends with Charlie Egan and he was climbing with you guys in the hurricane. And I think it was when he did Bismarcky, the 14A in the hurricane, and he credited you guys for like the <laughs> knee bar intervention. Uh, and I was kind of, yep. Charlie, you know, I've known him for a long time. I've known him to be very proficient at knee barring. And I was like, oh, did they like tell you to get out of your head and stop worrying about the knee bars and just climb the thing. And he's like, no, it was totally the opposite. They're like, dude, what are you doing? You need the spray on adhesive. You need the duct tape. You need the sleeves, all the things. So. It is an art. 
It is. Yeah, I'd love to. Form. I'd love to learn all about it. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like a lot of people are anti knee barring as if it's um, degrading to the sport in some kind of way, but to me, it's really about just using your body wisely and it's just being smart like adding tools you know to your toolbox just like learning how to hand jam proficiently or um you know finger lock or whatever it is it's like if you can learn how to knee bar well and knee scum well like then you can and it just so happens of course that that particular technique does require quite a few ingredients (laughs) (laughs) so let's get into it what what is the give me the rundown when you're suiting up for a hard climb in the hurricane or a rifle well okay for me i'm wearing shorts Mm -hmm. gotta wear shorts um freshly shorn thighs (laughs) and um and it's also important to shave the kneecap Shave the thigh and the kneecap. Yeah, not thigh and the kneecap. Just depending on the bar that you're going to need to have. I mean, the rubber sometimes will go over the top of your kneecap a little bit, especially when your leg is straight. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes it'll be necessary to put a, a piece of tape there to uh, secure it to the kneecap. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, I put the sleeve on. And Heather and I do this part differently, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, I put the the knee pad on all the way and I have a long knee pad. It's actually kind of heavy. That's the only downside to it, hmm. um, to them, but, but they're really long, like the more surface area that covers the thighs, the more secure it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I peel back the front half of the knee pad spray, you know, a lot if it's a super tech bar, Yeah. let it dry for 30 seconds, put it kind of, back down and pat it onto the thigh. And then I peel back the top half and do the same thing. And then I do a constricto wrap with the duct tape. I don't actually duct tape to my skin. Oh. Shaving the the thighs is more for when I'm pulling off the pad. Okay. Um, it's just far more painful with hair on okay. it because the pad essentially becomes a part of my body. <laughs> yeah. That makes, that's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah. And so, so with enough spray, I constricto wrap it and that's it. I mean, then I go climbing and then throughout the process of knee barring on a route, it just gets more and more stuck to the thigh, you know? So when you hmm. take it off eventually <laughs> at the end of the route, it's, you know, I get bruised sometimes like little pieces <laughs> of skin might even come off. Oh my God. It's kind of heinous. You have to be like a little bit strange to do this process day after day but have i ever doubted whether it's worth it no (laughs) do you do this uh for every attempt or do you leave them on throughout the day oh you can't every attempt yeah Yeah. if i leave them on i just get a little too sweaty yeah you know and they like slip and so you want it to feel like it's not gonna budge right a millimeter kind of like tape you want to put on fresh tape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what what is the adhesive spray that you're using? It's a Mueller pre-tape spray. Okay. And I believe it's designed for like physical therapists taping ankles, that kind of thing. Mm. But it's um, it's the best I know of. So there Where you do go. you find it? Where does one find it? Gosh, Amazon is kind of the last place. I mean, they used to sell it in climbing stores. They used to sell it here in Boulder at Neptune. Um, I'm not sure if this is actually good for us. Like, we don't know how much 
you know, acetone we're absorbing no. through our skin. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Less drinks a week, yeah. more acetone. It all balances out. Amazing. Amazing. And then the constriction wrap, what does that look like for you? Well, for me, it's different than pretty much everyone I know who tapes their pads on because most people tape to their skin. Mm -hmm. um, mine is just taping it just below the top of the knee pad pretty tightly mm -hmm. with, I don't know, three or four or five wraps of duct tape and and just making it tight. And so it's, it's uncomfortable. Like I can't straighten my leg to walk up to the base of the cliff. <laughs> so this all happens right below bolt number one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you have to relearn how to climb wearing these to some extent? Is it fuck with your movement or I don't know? Not really. I, it's, it's a little, um, stiff at first, Yeah, but after a few moves, make sure not to tape too tight or like you'll start to lose some circulation, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, I don't know. Did you end up actually having a chance to try this on Supnazi? I did not do the full Thing. Okay. I did I did throw on a send pad and just probably spent twenty minutes looking for new bars and trying them. That's right. But yeah. You've got at least another couple of letters on you without getting any stronger. <laughs> this is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, but this all comes from a place of of from my perspective, like being relatively weak compared mm. to like the numbers. Yeah. Because strong people don't go to knee bars right away, right? Right. I had to. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's same. it's paid off in general, you know? I mean, I wouldn't mind being stronger, don't get me wrong, but, yeah. but I'm working on it. <laughs> well, this is super interesting to me because this is kind of a deeper philosophical conversation that I want to have. Because for me, it feels really similar to when I was a newer climber, I was bouldering in Leavenworth a lot. That was kind of where I cut my teeth. And my fingers were super weak. And I like MacGyvered my way up a ton of boulder problems just through subtlety and micro beta and weird shenanigans, you know, heel hooks and whatever. And knee barring is, is kind of the far end of that spectrum in my mind. I'm curious what you guys think about it because on one hand, that process for me has served me to this day. Like I've, I was really good at exploring micro beta and nuance and getting really good at making the climb as easy as possible. But it kept me from getting my fingers stronger for years, I think. I think they could have gotten much stronger in that same time frame if I had just defaulted to trying harder and kind of going with the more conventional beta in some of those cases. Mm. So I'm really curious about this because obviously knee bars are critical on at least certain climbs. Go to rifle, try to climb without knee bars, and you're only going to get so far. But then part of me is almost feels resistant to taking this, to going down this rabbit hole all the way, because I'm like, man, if I, I probably could shave a letter off of something like soup Nazi, but then am I, ultimately I want to climb harder than that someday. It's not like my life mission to do this one climb. So yeah. anyway, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, I think it's smart to be a technician and then it's, not that it's easy to get stronger, but it's definitely simpler. Like, you know, that if you're on a fingerboard and you do the six week protocol, like your fingers are going to get stronger, but the hard work is like learning all of those subtle body positions and the heel hooks and the knee bars and all of those things that you were investing all of that time in, you'll always have that with you. And so 
for me, I feel like it's an easier way to just like get stronger and then you're ultimately a better climber. Mm. Yeah, totally. I, th I agree with that completely. I mean, what I heard you say, Stephen, is that if you had used bad beta on all these boulder problems, you'd be stronger. Yay. Like, who cares? Who wants to use bad beta? I mean, I, I think it's two separate things that should be trained separately. Like, mm. I think what you did, figuring out the nuances and all that, is exactly the thing that one should do to become a better rock climber. Um, which, by the way, I think is is often ignored, especially now, when people enter climbing and just are bombarded with like 8 million training programs mm. and all this stuff. And we can talk about that later, but, um, but I think like Heather said, if you are sending these boulder problems quickly because you have such good beta, do a fingerboard the next day, <laughs> you know, do mm -hmm. it like you get your fingers stronger some other way, not by using bad beta. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Let me ask this then, is it ever difficult to make that mental shift into, okay, I need to stop trying all these weird little knee scums and stuff and just try harder to do this move. Cause I struggle with that sometimes like getting sucked into the weeds of always exploring, like, like trying to make the climb easier versus just like maybe on this move, I just need to try really, really hard. Almost always. I'm trying to make the climb easier. Yeah. Especially if it's something at my limit, because ultimately efficiency is how you're going to get your way up a hard sport climb. So Sure, sometimes there isn't any alternate beta and you just have to crank on this like tiny little crimp, but often, which is makes outside rock climbing so cool, there are options, mm. which is so cool. Well, and also I, I think um, I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Heather is assuming that you're trying your hardest. Mm. Like that's assumed. I mean, I think that's important to say. I it is actually. important to say because I know I know what it's like to not try my hardest because I often don't. When I'm trying to figure out beta, for example, at the top of a sport route where I know I'm going to be pumped, but I'm hanging on the bolt, if I give 100% effort at that point on a route and I do the boulder problem, that's meaningless to me because I, I know I'm going to need to be able to do it at only 60%, hmm. for example. So all that to say, I know what it's like to not try 100%, but... But I'm assuming that if you're trying to red point this route, you're trying your ass off. And if you still can't do it, there's no option to just try harder. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Then it's time to like get creative and really study it. And like, that's what I like about climbing a lot too, is just how, um, how much body awareness is involved. Like you can change one subtlety with like your hip position and then like the move will go versus not focusing on on that you know i think that's really interesting about climbing otherwise we'd be weightlifters <laughs> 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 do you have any rules either of you do you have rules for yourselves as far as when you have invested a lot of time in a project and you think you have your beta dialed but then then you start tinkering with it again and you start you know, exploring like, well, what if I use this slightly different foothold? Um, do you try it a certain number of times with the new beta to, you know, cause this is something I struggle with. Like you get so ingrained with the beta that you're doing, you might find something easier, but it doesn't necessarily feel easier immediately. You have to kind of get 
the feel of the new method? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of my hardest climbs that I've ever done, it was only because I changed something like far into this process, like weeks or months <laughs> in. And then I finally was like, okay, this really isn't working. I need to change my beta. And then it goes or you know it takes a little bit of time but it feels a lot better and then it'll go but mm. i think just um allowing yourself to keep an open mind throughout the process versus like nope this is my beta and i've seen this so much with people climbing like nope this is the beta or they'll say i could try to change my beta but i really like this way of doing it mm. and, you know like props to them if that's what they want but for me it's all about being ready to change something if it's not working yeah i i try to avoid rules i think <laughs> um, except with your drink account yeah exactly i can tweak out on that stuff but um no i think it's important just to be open yeah like i don't know it's usually clear after an attempt or two whether beta is going to work mm. for me occasionally there's been routes where I try something 10 times, you know, 10 red point attempts. And then I'm like, Oh, I should have done this. Mm. But usually I feel like I've analyzed it enough before giving a hundred percent that there's kind of no easier way. I think that might be one of the things that's key for me is, is like, like I kind of mentioned earlier at the top of a sport climb, usually when I'm hanging on a bolt and I'm trying to figure out moves, I'm not giving a hundred percent. I'm holding back a little because that's the only way it's going to go on the send. So I think I try, I figure out beta in a weakened state in a way, and then try to arrive fresh for the red point. Yeah. Chris is a master of this. I haven't quite mastered that. Like he is able to look like complete crap on a route, <laughs> like not be able to like barely be able to do all the moves and hang on every single bolt and then swear to god like the next time he gets on the route he'll like send it wow. because he's so in tune i think with that ability to be like is this move too hard or is it just enough hmm. i'm not quite there yet like uh, usually i'll be like you know falling like a few moves higher or something on the red point like ooh, i was more pumped than i thought but chris i think has mastered the looking like crap to sending <laughs> I, I, i'm pretty good at looking like crap <laughs> no but, it, but it's, a, it's a real skill yeah i know i know it's amazing i know what you're saying i often yeah. have to learn the hard way like i have to get there on red point to realize like oh there's no way i'm gonna yeah, be able to do same. it that way from the ground yeah and then exactly. re-examine things for sure me too what do those early tries look like for you, Chris? Do you have like a different phase before the red point phase? Do you have multiple phases? Are you going up with the intention of like, I'm going to hang at every bolt on purpose and just really explore this thing? Um, so we're talking, I assume, about like a, a route that is way above my onsite grade. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're talking about? Uh, project sport climb. Yeah. 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 Okay. So if there's something that is like clearly impossible for me to onsite, then yeah, I might hang on every bolt um and only focus on maybe the first third if it's a long route hmm. for the first day and then maybe just focus on the second third on another day and then maybe just the top there you know it depends on the route it depends where the cruxes are but just dog your way up to that part and then yeah from, yeah yeah just like use as little energy as possible don't even pay any attention to any moves except this section hmm. you know and just try to get these little sections down and then 
uh, I find a lot of value once trying to link things in the low point, like trying to go from a little bit lower to the anchor, a little bit lower to the anchor. Mm -hmm. That to me is often more important than a high point from the ground. Hmm. So it totally depends on the route really, but sometimes I'll be working at top down, sometimes bottom up, sometimes simultaneously. Sometimes I'll go for a two hang or a one hang. Sometimes that may not even be that important. It might be more about um, figuring out a rest. Like mm. I had a couple burns in the hurricane last spring. I remember where my only goal for the whole burn was to figure out how to stay at this one knee bar rest for like 30 seconds longer. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was, I mean, essentially like a day of climbing came down to, okay, can I, can I stay here 30 seconds longer? And I knew that if I could, I would be able to do the route. Hmm. And so it, it eventually worked, but yeah, it just depends, you know, on the, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people ignore too, is, um, focusing on training the rests. Hmm. A lot of people just focus on the moves, but ultimately, if you can get a lot more back in a rest, then you're going to increase your likelihood of sending yeah. tremendously. So, yeah, training the rest is good. I know Bill does that. Bill Ramsey does that yeah. with replicas. Is that what you're talking about? Or yeah. just spending time on the route, focusing on spending time in that rest? Yeah. I okay, mean, both. Both. Yeah, all of it, yeah. Both. Figuring out the very mm. best way to rest and then also just practicing it. Like in the knee bar rest, like Chris was saying, it's like developing that your like leg strength again like if i haven't been knee barring a lot then i feel like i need to like train it because my calves and quads and everything gets my core gets pumped what are some <laughs> key knee bar training exercises <laughs> i'd say weighted calf raises are big seriously oh yeah yeah in fact for certain routes like in in rifle um occasionally and certainly at the hurricane for some of these horizontal things like yeah more valuable to me than any kind of fingerboarding was I'd just get on a stair and drop my heels. Um, and I would do one foot at a time, drop the heel below 90 degrees, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like drop the heel down as far as you can. And then I would just hold a weight in a hand and just do full calf raises as high as possible. Um, work my way up in the weights. And to me that, I, I truly feel that helped me more than anything else, more than arm strength for sure. Wow. That's incredible. Just with knee barring or with other things too? Just with knee barring. Okay. I think it would probably help with slab climbing too. But also yeah. like just having that flexibility in your Achilles mm -hmm. helps a lot. So you can fit in to certain knee bars. Yeah. Like there are some knee bars. Well, it's also just like my, the length of my tibia, but like, oh, there's a lot of <laughs> knee bars that Chris is like, there's no way I don't, I'm not like flexible enough. My leg is too long to fit into these like tiny little knee bars. So I think being flexible and strong in that way is really helpful. Do you do anything separate to work on your Achilles flexibility? ankle I mean just building? general stretching okay. yeah but downward dogs come to mind <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah what would be an example like rep and set protocol for <laughs> weighted ankle raises calf raises for, yeah weighted calf raises um my aim was to do eight to ten reps and fail um so I think like starting off right now I haven't done it now since the spring so I would probably be starting off at zero pounds mm -hmm. and I do one leg. Uh, yeah. One legged on a stair. I would do three sets of 
10 probably. Okay. And then maybe in another, in like three days, I'll add five pounds and then another three or four days. I could probably add more because mm-hmm. I, I could probably do like 10 or 15 pounds right now, but I wouldn't want to shock my Achilles. Mm-hmm. So, sure. so I work up to it, but I think I, I got up to doing like 35, 40 pounds and Damn. I was doing eight or nine reps, Okay, you know, which was hard. I mean, it was, it was difficult. I had to work up to it, but um, yeah, simple protocol. I heard a story of you breaking your own pinky by knee, <laughs> knee barring so goddamn hard that <laughs> you broke your pinky. Both that, the is, that is true. Breaking their fingers on rock climbs. I know. <laughs> Tell me about that. Oh, was God. that in the hurricane? That was in the hurricane. Yeah, it was on that rude black ball. Uh-huh. And um, and for me, the crux was this. Um, well, the the whole crux section revolved around this pretty tricky knee bar where my left hand was in the way of, of the knee, the knee Mm. spot was pretty micro, you know? So that's where, for example, the kneecap tape was super helpful. We're going to come back to that. Yeah. Cause I knew exactly that like this can't slip or else I'm off. Mm. So extra glue, extra tape. But when I was on the red point, I was actually trying to do this extension off of it, black ball Z and, um, my knee, got, uh, my pinky got caught underneath my knee against the rock Mm -hmm. and I was waiting it a little bit, but I was like, Oh, I got to move my hand. I'm not going to be able to do this. But the next move was a right hand move and it was my left hand that was pinned. And so I felt good. I thought I had a chance of red pointing it. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to go for it. Um, just wait it for a second, move my right hand and then I'll take my left hand out. And when I waited my knee fully, that's when it just snapped. And I was off. He has really strong legs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the weighted calf raise has bitten me in the ass on that one. <laughs> okay, so explain the tape around the knee bar. Well, actually, I have, I have a question before that. Where do you get your knee bar pads, the, the specially long knee bar pads? So I just, you know, actually I'm due for a new yeah, pair. Mine we, are super old. We had an old, uh, an old like, friend make ours well, years ago. Not true. Um, the ones that I'm using now, I well, mine are still from. I went from to Brian. a hard or to a regular sporting goods store, like Big Five Sporting Goods, mm-hmm. and I just got these McDavid knee pads, you know, and I actually got extra large because you know for the knee. They're meant to like go over your knee. They're meant right? to go over the knee. So, <clears throat> and you're wearing since them. Since I'm above. putting them over these thighs. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> no, near. So, thighs. yeah, I, I was, I remember being in the store just like trying on all these knee pads. I'm sure people were, were like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> Pulling your shorts up super yeah. high. But yeah, I just used the regular um, knee pads from a sporting goods store. And, you know, the commercial ones that they sell now are, are good, but they're not long enough, in my opinion. Mm. Because again, you know, like the more surface pads? area, the better. Like send pads are great for for non technical knee barring. I, I use them all the time. In fact, I used one on the diamond, and it yeah, was I saw that dope. Yeah, because um, especially I'm not over be pants in up there. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but they are limited. I, I'd okay. say their use is limited, especially at a place like Rifle. Okay, so with the ones you bought from the sporting goods store. How did you get the sticky rubber on the sticky rubber um, on there? Took them to Rock and Resell okay. in Boulder. Okay, and they'll, they did a great job with it. Gotcha. Yeah, and it's crucial, of course, to have the knee, uh, uh, the rubber really close to the edge of the knee pad. 
Some mm. uh, that I've seen are homemade don't do that, and that's a big mistake. Got it. Put your rubber all the way down to the edge of the neoprene, people. <laughs> that's right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> and then, so how does the tape work on the bottom side of the the knee bar pad around the kneecap? Well, so most of the time for me, I'm using that constricto wrap right yeah. near the top of my thigh. But if it's a really tech bar and if there's some kneecap action, I'll just put it like a half a strip, like a half width strip of duct tape all the way around really close to the edge of the knee pad at my knee. Okay. Just to give it a little more security as well as to just make sure that very edge of the pad is a little closer to my skin. Mm. Can you visualize that? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're pulling the bottom edge of the pad tight against your skin right at the knee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not actually covering that. Like it's not going over my joint over the knee. Okay. It, it's just up from the kneecap a little bit, but it's, okay. it's very close to, to the edge. So if you have a knee bar that's right at your kneecap, is the tape above or below? Above. Okay. Yeah. Got it. But it's it's a huge difference from having nothing down there. Okay. Yeah, this is really hypertech. This is like you're <laughs> putting your knee against like a couple inches of surface, and you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. it's really those are the ones technical. that I just dismiss immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, man, not worth it. Yeah, most of the time they're probably not worth it, but probably just because I'm doing it all. Wrong. It's kind of yeah. amazing though. Like Heather has these super narrow kneecaps. Yeah, and, I can see and that. she can knee bar against surfaces that are dead to me. <laughs> I mean, I'll be like Chris, check out this cool yeah, knee. Yeah, it's just impossible because like, it's no. so small. Like my knee <laughs> can't physically fit on this surface. Would either of you be as into this if it weren't for each other? <laughs> Do you feed I mean, off each I other with that, your? I mean, knee I think barring? I learned all my knee bar like fuckery this... from Chris. <laughs> It's it is fun to geek out about it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. So how does Chris? You mentioned that your process, Heather, is different from his. How does your process different? I'm a bit more masochistic different? with it. Like I don't care if my skin rips off at the end of the day. Like I just um, duct tape it to my thigh, like very tightly, okay. so that it's not going to budge at all. Like if I really need like super technical knee bars, she has dark scars like for an entire climbing season. <laughs> So this is in addition to the adhesive spray? Yep. So you you do a, a layer or two of duct tape at the top of the pad and then you wrap up onto your thigh on the skin? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, I mean, it, it's not like you'd even, I don't know. I think as women, we're like way more used to dealing with pain, like waxing, <laughs> um, pap smears. Like we're very used to like a lot of pain and uncomfort. And so for me, I mean... Maybe that's why I could still like, I was like red pointing the root with a broken finger the other day. Cause it's like, we just are more used to pain. Yeah. Children yeah. having children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another example. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. Any other knee bar beta that you can think of? I think just experimenting with it is, is crucial. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think also just, um, getting used to like looking at surfaces and then looking for like toes mm. where you're going to put your toe against a, a surface. Mm -hmm. And like now I can kind of look at a rock climb and this is after years of studying climbs, but I can kind of look at a rock climb and be like, 
ooh, I'll bet there's like a knee scum or a knee bar right there because I can see like the distance, like that's about my tibia and like there's a little toe and there's a surface for my knee. So Mm -hmm. like just being open to like really studying roots. What about shoe stiffness? Stiffer shoes? Stiffer shoes. Stiffer shoes help a lot. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. What do you guys wear? Like let's take the hurricane for instance. It's for people listening, dead horizontal roof climbing. So most most of the time the tendency would be to go with a really soft shoe. Yeah. So what do, you, what do you wear? Interesting because in the Hurricane, I was wearing um, kind of moderately stiff shoes because I was wearing Scarpa Instinct Velcros, mm. um, which are fairly stiff, but not as stiff as, say, the Boostics, which is what I normally would wear for knee barring. Like, definitely 100% rifle would be Boostic. Hmm. But there were a bunch of foot jams, toe jams. Yeah. Okay. on this route, including a couple of, at this major rest, a couple of the knee bars, um, I relied on a toe jam for the toe yeah, and then the knee bar for the knee. And wow. so my instinct Velcros were narrower than Boostics are. So I found that, um, of course I tried both shoes. I tried like probably five different pairs of shoes and I couldn't really get the jams well enough without the instinct Velcro. So that's what I went with, even okay. though I was sacrificing on stiffness. Okay. Okay. What about you? Emma? Yeah, I usually, I used to not be like a stiff shoe person, but um, now I love the Mira VSs for almost everything. But for the Hurricane, I love the solutions because there, there's like a lot of like toe hooking and mm. heel hooking and they just are a little more high performance in that way, even though they're softer um, for the knee bars. But yeah. Okay. Not sponsored yeah. by any shoe companies here, but just <laughs> well, saying. And, and I also would, would, I'll have to say that that I totally, totally get anyone who listens to any of this and thinks it's all garbage um, because it is just tweaking out. And I certainly would not uh, recommend this kind of knee barring for everyone. Ultimate tweaking. Just yeah. because it's it's so not worth it for some people. But yeah. totally. For for, for the me. one person listening to this, that, and for I Heather, think it's fun. It, it's, it it serves us well. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like, especially in the hur- like a place like the Hurricane or Rifle, like when you're really proficient at knee barring, and you can like just hang by your knees and like drop your, you know, and bat hang. Like that's pretty fun. It feels like you're like in a Cirque du Soleil act or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and now Adam Andre did the hardest route in the world with a bunch of knee bars, and they're cool. Yeah. So. I know, yeah, exactly. He's making Thank them you. cool again. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was watching some footage of him on Perfecto Mundo. Yeah, as well. And I'm pretty darn sure Sharma and and Magos did not wear knee pads. Correct. And he's knee barring. Yeah, a lot, which yeah. is awesome. He's got like two that. knee bar pads on. He's yeah. using the straps. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, he, his knee barring could go <laughs> a long way. Uh, just shoot him an email, Adam, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so with the strap on pads, you guys are using send pads. When you use those, yeah, yeah, is that kind of the only option when it's cold and you're you're not wanting to wear shorts or? Ooh, you, you got to get yourself some man warmers. Some man warmers, some man Let's, leg warmers. Okay, <laughs> this is perfect. I actually have a question from Casey McTaggart. Oh, I love Casey. Hi, Casey. <laughs> well, she says, "I have this is a direct quote." She says, "Heather has to be one of the nicest people on the planet." Oh. Thanks, Casey. Yeah. But she also wants to know, how does Heather always have the best leg warmers? 
Bam. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. Um, I love, like, why not be fashion forward? I'm, I'm also from Vegas, so it's kind of fun to, like, be a little flamboyant mm-hmm. sometimes, you know? Like, a little sparkle, a little hot pink. Yeah. Go a long way for, for the morale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do they make man leg warmers? Oh, well, we made Chris his own man warmers. They're pretty cool. We just um, cut the toes out of a pair of, like, really thick socks. <laughs> So they're not like... They were our Christmas stockings. Yeah. And yeah, they worked so, really well. So... <laughs> what color I mean, yeah, are they? So I have black and red, and I also have kind of grayish. Yeah. But they come up to just below my kneecap. Yeah. And then, of course, with the pad on, down to the kneecap, there's only a tiny strip of skin that's that's showing. So, <laughs> so your question initially about being cold, like sport climbing doesn't matter. It's never too cold to be in shorts and knee pads. Hmm. Yeah. So the sun pads, again, they're great for casual climbing, fun knee barring, obvious knee bars, that kind of thing. No mm-hmm. problem. But um, the sun pads are also great if there's like one big knee bar on the mm-hmm. route or something, and then there's like no other ones. And so you can like get your knee bar over with, and then you can even like take it off totally to lose the rest. little weight yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 or for alpine rock climbing yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah but yeah i mean personally if i'm gonna if i'm gonna be doing knee barring at beyond a basic level then i need a real knee pad mm-hmm. okay a real knee pad <laughs> well i shouldn't say that i guess i, I should it. say i need all the accoutrement is what i need the duct tape the spray with the strap on ones do you think the stiffer rubber or the softer rubber is the way to go any thoughts on that it depends on the bar i think i like softer rubber yeah okay. so Actually, you can kind of feel you can kind of smear a little better yeah, yeah. feel it better okay yeah Good but then know. again like i've had knee bars that like there's a really sharp point in the rock or something and mm. then like the stiff and thicker is like, really nice so that you're not like bruising as much <laughs> as much yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay i want to okay we can that's enough about knee bars we can move on from that but with that chris you just mentioned uh the route you did on the diamond because you did use a knee bar pad which i love i love that you're up on the diamond <laughs> with a knee bar pad on that's fantastic um I'd love to hear about the route in general, but I'm also really curious about the name. Where does the name Gambler's Fallacy come from? What does that mean? So, um, so the Gambler's Fallacy is is basically when there's a certain outcome of of a an event like flipping a coin, and let's say let's say you flip heads two or three times in a row. The Gambler's Fallacy would say. Oh, well, it's already been heads a few times. Mm. It's got to be tails the next time. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the gambler at the slot machine. Like, oh, I, you know, I keep not winning. I'm certainly going to win sometime <laughs> soon, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the belief that the outcome's going to change because of previous outcomes. And it was kind of a, a comical name just playing on how Bruce and I basically failed. Bruce Miller. Um, and I failed on this route over and over and over and we kept expecting this different outcome. Like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to do it sometime. <laughs> um, so it was kind of just like a funny, a funny play on that. But also, you know, the diamond and uh, other routes up there have card game names and oh, okay. you know, Jack of Diamonds and the Joker and stuff like that. King oh, okay. of Swords, you know. So it kind of goes along with that theme as well. Nice. But, okay. Cool. Yeah, that one was quite a time investment. It sounds like. 
It was. 52 days over four seasons, something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd love to hear, I've never been up there to the Diamond. I look at your resume and you've done, you know, countless 514s. And it's a, it sounds like the gambler's fallacy breaks down. The crux is 13B, something like that. And it's easy to be like, okay, why did it take him so long? But you also topped out at like 14,000 feet or something like that. I'd love to hear what that, maybe just describe the experience climbing up there on something that hard at elevation and on yeah. that rock, that style, all that sort of stuff. Like what, how hard is it? What were some of the biggest adjustments and challenges that you faced in that one? Well, I think the first really challenging part about it and, and what took so long was just establishing the route. Yeah. Took a lot of time. I mean, just days worth of exploring where should it go, days of putting in fixed gear. Like we, we added nine bolts for protection by hand and nine bolts of belays by hand. Cleaning the route was a major issue because just to take off some loose rock, we had to be super careful because the North chimney is about a thousand feet right below us, oh. um, where we were, um, cleaning most of the rock, which really we didn't have to clean that much off it, but, um, you know, you wouldn't want to drop even a pebble from up there onto mm -hmm. the people in the North chimney. So, so there were a couple of times we had to bring a haul bag down with us and, and carefully tink, tink, tink with a hammer and get a little flake off and put it in a haul bag and oh, haul wow. it to the summit, you know? So like the logistics are what took by far the majority of all that time. And then there was the climbing itself, which is just compounded by the elevation that you mentioned, the, the cold, it's always cold. Hmm. It's always too cold for me. Hmm. Um, what does that mean? What is, what kind of conditions were, were you facing up there? Um, it's usually shady. It, it's sunny in the morning, but, um, but as the season goes on, it's kind of less and less sunny. So the rock is rarely warm and then it's almost always a little windy and it's just cold. Like, like low forties is how mm. it feels up there. A lot of the time, like at best. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like it warmer than most guys I know. Hmm. Um, I always have a hand warmer in my chalk bag. Uh, I'm not like a VRG in January kind of guy. <laughs> I'm more like a March in, in at the VRG kind of guy. What's ideal for you? Like what temperature range? Um, I'd say maybe like mid fifties in the shade or mm -hmm. 60 in the shade even. Yeah. Depending on the route, I guess. But, okay. Um, but anyway, then the elevation, of course, like being fit enough and, and being able to breathe up there was kind of <laughs> problematic and, and the storms, you joked uh, about that in your video. You guys made a great video about it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll share it in the show notes for people. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, there are, yeah, there are a lot of factors working against you up there. Hmm. Um, I'd like to think that if we just showed up to this established route, you know, it hopefully wouldn't have taken us <laughs> four seasons, but, but certainly just putting it up took us that long. Yeah. Um, Was it your first red point attempt that you did it? Um. Technically, no, because I did go for it once last year from the ground, but I, I knew that I wouldn't send it. It was kind of this Hail Mary last day of the season type thing. And I was okay. just like, hey, I want to see what these pitches feel like on lead. Mm. So essentially, yes. We'll say yes. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thanks. It looks amazing. Thanks. Amazing accomplishment. Thanks so much. Are you craving more of that kind of thing or are you, are you excited to get back to clipping bolts? 
I'm pretty psyched to clip some bolts at the moment. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> but um but I do really enjoy the those big uh alpine rock roots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And tell me about your shoulder. So in October, early October, I was climbing with Heather and Eldo, and um we were trying this route called Black Pearl. Okay. And I hurt my shoulder just a little bit more every day I worked on it and I eventually did it, but, um, but my shoulder was tweaked after that. And then I hurt it again in November on a different route in Castle Valley, Utah. But again, nothing that was like, you got to stop climbing. It was kind of like, okay, I'm going to start doing more band work, that kind of thing. Hmm. But anyway, um, by early November of this year, I, I got an MRI and I had torn, partially torn three out of four rotator cuff tendons and um, partially torn my labrum. So yeah, it's it's like, wow, I guess I'm actually kind of injured. So (laughs) I've just been, damn, I know. So I've been doing a bunch of PT. I've been getting massage. I've been just doing a bunch of homework and, and now I'm just slowly, slowly, slowly working my way back up. Okay. And I think I'll be able to get by without surgery. Okay. Back at it by the time Heather's yeah i mean goes. i think we we might be hitting hitting the road at the same time here now with her <laughs> broken finger so fingers crossed <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i would love to ask you guys about your relationship and how you balance that with your climbing like it sounds like you do climb together quite a lot but it also sounds like you i mean you did your thing at the diamond and heather you climb with other people and have your own projects too time apart time together how I'd love to ask, like, how would your closest friends explain or describe how you balance pursuing your respective goals with maintaining a healthy relationship? <laughs> Heather, you want to start? Sure. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, well, some of my closest girlfriends that I've gone climbing with um, in the summer, um, because Chris was on the diamond, would say that I balanced and managed things really well, I think, because there's a lot of people, a lot of climbers that aren't able to really like take a break from their significant other for like a month Mm -hmm. and just go do their own thing. So, um, so I think that that was, that was really positive and, um, and nice to have some time to like do my own thing with like different people. Mm -hmm. That said, I'm excited that maybe he'll be available for like a summer (laughs) this coming year because uh i mean that's some of my like favorite time climbing is summer i love like being warm and i don't think i could hack it on the diamond (laughs) yeah yeah i think you know my friends i think would um would say wow man you're lucky because you, you can go on Mm. trips with Heather and you guys can do the same thing, not just sport climbing, but you can do long routes together. You can go trad climbing together. Um, yeah, I think, I think my friends think that it's, it works out pretty well. It's really fun. And and they're, you know, they're like, wow, it's impressive that Heather's just as psyched to go to the fins with her girlfriends while you're here, you know? But yeah, it's really fun to like, be able to project similar things or at least at the same crags. And I, I think it's the most fun for me, honestly, if we like have a similar, like the same project, like we, we had black Pearl and we would just like geek out completely together mm-hmm. about all the little micro beta. I think that's really fun. Amazing. Yeah. When you're both 
let's say you're both in a season where you're excited about sport climbing. Do you intentionally try to mix it up and climb with other people and, and just branch out like that? Or yeah, any thoughts on that sort of thing? I'd say I'm more like, Chris, why don't you want to climb with me in general? Because he has so many people that he like goes out and climbs with. He has like a really good base of partners here in Boulder. Whereas I feel like, like I do too if I branch out, but I don't know. There's a part of me that like, I'd rather climb with Chris like a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time. But I'm not sure if he feels the same way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that, um, you know, when we choose a project or, a, or even a crag to go to where we're going sport climbing, I mean, we tend to climb together almost the whole time, you know, like when we go to the hurricane or rifle or um we were just before you broke your finger we were talking about going to the vrg um but you know we take these trips or or overseas even you know and um and we tend to climb together on these trips for sure i think when we're home in boulder um because i'm kind of psyched to do kind of all sorts of stuff i have different partners who are into different things and i seek them out maybe more than heather seeks out other people yeah Mm. it's true chris likes to do He's not very selective. Like he's he loves all rock climbs. Mm. He's like the one of the few people I know that like it doesn't matter what it is. Like it could be like the chossiest five two mm-hmm. somewhere, like say in the flat irons, and no one does it. It's like completely lichen covered and he's like so psyched. <laughs> and those are the kind of climbs where I'm like, Oh yeah, go ask Charles. Yeah. That that would be a great guy's day out. <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no thanks <laughs> yeah, like I'll climb on the moon board in the ground exactly yeah <laughs> totally. yeah Chris you seem like you have that more than just about anybody like the the drive to want to check all the boxes <laughs> and climb all the things does that resonate it does and, and um, I'd love to know what that is or where it comes from like, gosh I wonder if it's just some weird OCD thing I mean I, I maybe it, I have a little it, bit it, of that but I, I think I see that with all of the most prolific climbers out there, like there's almost like a, a need, like a yeah, obsessive need yeah. to like continue being productive with their climbing and check, yeah. check, check. Totally. Check, check. Yeah. I, I think for me where it kind of borders on psychosis is that, <laughs> like Heather said, I, I actually, I, I don't discriminate too much and uh, I like bad routes. <laughs> you know i feel like i i learn something from all of this stuff i mean hmm. for example i can climb yeah some some crappy five seven and shelf road and then adapt that type of you know how it feels to be on that route or on some choss route in eldo or something you know and then when i'm climbing in the mountains or doing an approach pitch or something weird it actually I think helps me just having some kind of mileage on crappy rock, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Not that I purposely go out and seek that because I feel like I've probably climbed enough of it that I kind of know enough what I'm doing. It might not be worth the risk anymore, but still the ticking the box part is, is always appealing to me. Hmm. Yeah. And so even if I'm not going to get some value later, I want to take that box. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Chris is, passion for climbing is i'd say i don't know that i 
I don't think I know anyone else that quite has like that deep passion for climbing in the way that he does. It's like so pure. Hmm. It's not just like, I really want to do this route or something. It's just like for the love of climbing in all of its aspects, Hmm. which is really cool. Like seeing his motivation level on all different levels and aspects of climbing like when his shoulder is injured he's like cool i'm gonna go to the flat irons and do like all of these like you know five zero to five fours that i haven't done <laughs> you know like that kind of thing yeah it's amazing yeah are you a little bit more ebb and flow or you have to find the right yeah thing? I, th- I think i like i kind of like when i have something like a project I'm a sucker for projects. I like when yeah. I have something I can like think about at night or just like some bigger goal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think you ebb too much. I think you're always psyched, but when you have, when I have a project, I'm the happiest. Exactly. Yeah. You kind of need, you need somewhere to put <laughs> yeah, that focus, that yeah. focus. And then mm-hmm. once you send it, it's like, it's, it seems like you enjoy for a moment, having uh, the freedom, you know, as it were, to not have a project, but then pretty quickly, you're like, "Oh my god, what am I doing with my life?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I need a project. I'd say that's really true. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to yeah, that feeling for sure. I mean, I think I'm a little less so than I used to be years ago with that, but um, it's really nice for me to have like a little more structure um, and like have something specific to work toward mm-hmm. that makes like training easier and just like life easier mm-hmm. to have like a certain goal sure i'd love to ask what are your expectations the first time you try something that you think is going to be really hard for you and i ask that because for me i still really struggle with sport climbs like if i can't do all the moves the first time up it or at least all but like one and I know it's supposed to be the crux. I'm pretty tempted to move on and maybe circle back in a couple of years, that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah. What, what are your, how do you expect the first time up a route to go? Yeah. It's funny because I'm the total opposite. Like if I can do all the moves on my first try and this is like a project, right? Something really mm-hmm. hard for me then I'm like so psyched because I know I can, I can do it. You mm-hmm. know, um, if I can't do all the moves, but like, I feel like there's a way that I'm still psyched. Like there are many different um, climbs I've been on where I couldn't do the crux moves for days, Mm. but that's okay. I mean, not like it's just like sometimes it's hard, right? Because you're like, I'm never going to be able to do this route. But I mean, for example, China Doll, I didn't do the 13C crux move for like until my sixth day working on it, you know, and that was just like the supposed 13 c part Mm -hmm. so um for me i think it's just all about like a totally different philosophy like when i was being taught how to project it was like you shouldn't be able to do all the moves your first try up because then it's too easy for Mm. you you know like it should be like a real challenge for you and and there should be parts of it that are like gonna take a lot of problem solving and maybe you're gonna have to like break that move down and work it in your in the gym you know so Mm -hmm. yeah totally different philosophy 
Yeah, I think it depends what you uh, what you want out of the route or out of the experience. Like if you're hunkering down at rifle for three months and you want a route that might take you that whole time, then God, it doesn't matter if you do the move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in fact, I had that experience at rifle where um, Heather and I both ended up doing Stock Boys Revenge uh, a number of years ago. And for me, I think it was on day nine that I finally did the individual move at the crux I couldn't do up Damn. until that point. Wow. But I also was willing to accept that because it was the hardest route I had done at the time. And I was like, well, I mean, this is what I signed up for. This is worth me working on this, even though I very well may not be able to do this. Yeah. I'm going to keep trying it for a while. Yeah. Um, but if I'm on a week-long trip and I want to send a route and I have three climbing days or four climbing days on it, of course... If I can't do all the moves on first day, then I might move on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a good to- point. Totally depends on what you're yeah. what you're looking for. Sure, depends yeah. on the time frame. That and, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen B Stock Boys Revenge is that is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a route we worked together actually. Yeah, that was really cool yeah. actually. Was there a video about you doing that? Yeah. Okay, I'll there link was, to that too. Yeah, Tara. Right. Um, Kirshner yeah. made that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And Chris was out of town for that one. And well, we worked I, on it a bunch. Um, and then I, I did it. And I went out of town oh, somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I was like, guess, guess what? It, guess what, Chris? Oh, guess yeah. What that's happened? right. That's right. And he's like, you got a new car. <laughs> You're pregnant. I'm like, no. I sent stock boys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> um, that was why why is that? that? I mean, like, what was where was she at in the process when you left town? Well, I'm trying to even remember where, like, where was I? What happened that? I don't know. Traveling. I, I don't remember. <laughs> years I, ago. Oh, you know what it was? I I think I was in the Bugaboos with Bruce Miller oh, actually. Okay. So yeah, we worked on Stock Boys. But then I left in midsummer because mm-hmm. who climbs at the Bauhaus in midsummer? <laughs> Heather does. She <laughs> sent the thing on a July day, like in the nineties. Damn. And this is the this I is like the Bauhaus that gets sun until what two or three, maybe one thirty or something like that. But yeah. it the rock is hot, and, and you know. I do better when it's warm. I think. Wow. I think that was actually one of the main reasons. And that's that not like, warm. That's hot. Yeah. <laughs> That's really hot. I think that the main reason up that, I, that I didn't guess that it was because you had sent Stock Boys, the thing that you were telling me you had a surprise, was because every other time you've done something, you've told me right away. Oh. And this time, I didn't hear anything from you. So uh. I assumed that you hadn't sent or else you would have told me. But yeah, that was exciting. Fair so enough. yeah, she sent it before I did. And then I came back in early September and did it. Okay. Amazing. I have another question from John Glassberg. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he says, ask Chris what it's like to have Heather outperform him on his project. And then in parentheses, I just have China Doll. Ah, uh, well, yeah. So she she definitely outperformed me on that one, of course. Um, <laughs> have you done it at this point? No. Okay. I've done the 13C first part, um, and I've worked the whole pitch a bunch. Um, I know all the beta. But it's very hard for me. Um, but you haven't been back. Um, the last time I worked it, like when Heather was sending, um, I had an injured wrist at the time. And I was still able to climb on it, but I couldn't. 
I was limited. Yeah. And so that was frustrating for me, but, um, but yeah, like no doubt. I mean, Heather sent that thing like way faster than I could have. Cause I had already worked it a bunch before Heather had even started working on it. So yeah, uh, I feel great about it. I mean, <laughs> Hey, you know, it that's how it goes. It doesn't happen very often. Like if I do something before him, it's like very exciting. Well, it's, what's so funny though, is like the, the hardest things we've tried together, you've done faster. That's amazing. I don't know. I love it. I don't know well, like that. stock boys in China at all. That's true. It's my um, bullheaded, like, stubbornness mm. nose to the grindstone put the work in and don't give up mm. it's yeah. more than that i mean you have that for sure but um, chris is more likely to like take a break from something hmm. usually like when projecting whereas i'm more like nope i'm gonna stick with it until i do it um which i, I do feel like i'm i'm gaining a little more of like the adaptability and like let it go and like come back yeah it makes more sense but i think that's how i've done my hardest climbs is like just being diligent and consistent and not giving up no matter what how much has that served you versus backfired yeah i mean yeah it's it's definitely i think i've learned it's better to be more adaptable you know sure like i still am really motivated and and committed when I have a project, but let's say it's like way too cold or it's, you know, maybe I don't have a partner at the moment or something like that. Then I'm more willing to be like, okay, let me write down my beta. I can come back to it, mm. you know, versus like must do this <laughs> now. <laughs> I think it's a lot healthier of an approach now mm. than I used to have. Mm. Yeah. What specific route has taught you the most? Definitely China at all taught me the most because I feel like that's when I hit kind of a rock bottom. I was so obsessed and um, just really like down on myself because I wasn't really making great progress with the route for so long. And um, How long did you spend trying it? Um, I tried it for like two seasons, so or I guess three seasons. I started it like spring of one year and then worked on it until like November until there was ice and it was way too cold and then came back that next spring and then sent it like early summer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot and it was like the only thing I was climbing on. So I think it was pretty, it was just, it felt like... It was basically like this mirror that kind of exposed everything that was like hard in my life. And hmm. it was like exposing my um, self-doubt, lack of like self-worth and all of these things. And Chris knows more than anyone, like it was really hard. Like I would come home, like just be like bawling, like I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Like what am I doing? with my life with everything you know and uh and it just was really not healthy so that climb to hit rock bottom and to be like that made me like want to change and like hey mm. like i need to help myself and i need to like change my relationship with my life and what i'm doing and and uh and face my like demons and hmm. I have a lot of like childhood stuff that's really hard that I feel like I never dealt with 
you know, and if you'd never deal with like the really hard things then it creeps up in like very inopportune and weird times. And, and sure. that was my, my time of like exposing everything, Whoa. you know? Yeah. So, so that taught me a lot. It was a really dark time and, um, but like a, a great time also. Right. Cause like eventually I did the route and, and it was really fulfilling in a lot of ways, but ultimately it taught me I needed to like address the, the demons. Hmm. Are there any tools that you've leaned on to, to really work through that? Yeah. I mean, I was really lucky just by hap happenstance. Um, Arno Ilgner was at a trade show that year and he's like, hey, I'd be interested in coaching you mentally. I'm writing this book. Maybe you could help me out with, with my project and I'll help you with mental coaching. So he was he was really helpful with um, awareness and um, is he the the Rock Warriors way? Yeah, he's yeah. the author of the Rock Warriors way, which is a wonderful book, and I would recommend every climber reads it. Um, but he was also just like really instrumental in building my awareness and changing my relationship with climbing, like coming back to my true motivations and why I do this, hmm. versus just being in this like loop of like must achieve in order to fulfill this idea that like if I achieve great things then I'm a great person hmm. or like I will be loved or I will you know be worthy uh which is so funny like talking about it now it seems so simple like of course like climbing a hard rock climb wouldn't equate to self-worth but he was very instrumental in helping me and then just general like therapy which I'd never done much of was really helpful and meditation exercises hmm. and um and then just taking like a little break from projecting super hard routes and just like doing different things and enjoying climbing and and uh yeah and having you know chris's support and my friend's support and all, all of the things hmm. yeah i'm super lucky to be able to also just have time like i'm not working and and resources to mm -hmm. to help because you know mental health is such a a huge thing that's often ignored. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really grateful for that. Do you have a daily meditation practice? You know, I haven't been now, but I, I did religiously. Yeah. yeah. What does yeah. that look like? Do you use an app or? Uh, no, it would look like um, usually only like three to five minutes, but it would be like a body awareness exercise. So just being attentive to, um, first of all, like certain body parts, like notice how you're standing, like how you're, you're, feet are balancing on the on the floor and then you know up to your legs and and it's basically this exercise into getting out of this loop of thinking because like we're doing right now right we're like we're thinking about things and and breaking that and getting your awareness more into your body mm. so it would start with kind of like body awareness and then it would go into a breathing exercise um, and then that would um, expand into okay now focus on like sight um hmm. and sound like what do you see without judgment and what are you hearing and just general observations um yeah i think it's important to i mean that's what we do in climbing right when we're in this so-called flow state when we're we're like often the happiest right is when we're not in this thinking mind and we're we're just like feeling alive in our bodies and our breath like pulled into the present yeah exactly yeah. cool yeah thanks for sharing all that yeah real quick what is china doll could you 
break it down? Uh, we haven't we haven't shared that, and I'm sure listeners are curious at this point. Chris, you're you, you're better about the breakdown and all of the history and everything. Well, I don't know. Like in your words, what what do you think it is? <laughs> like, well, how would you describe it? I think China that's more Dole, important. Um, it's a well, it's a 14a. The way I did it is it's a 14a traditional climb, mm-hmm. but um, it's actually how many pitches is it? This is where the Boulder Canyon guidebook author should chime in. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a single pitch if you do the whole thing so it's a one pitch 40 meters long 14a yes but there are there there are multiple multiple pitches and all these things but the way i did basically the way i did it is sounds like there's a 13c first anchor. yeah there's a first um anchor it's a 13c it's bolted so it's a sport climb which i first did and um but when i sent the 14a tread part i didn't use any of the bolts just placed gear and did you sport climb it first yeah i sport climbed the 13c it was kind of a cool project because it was like all these little steps right like when i was able to sport climb the 13c i was psyched because honestly (laughs) the big move on the 13c is the hardest move on the whole route for me Mm. and then i like worked the pitch above that the extension which is not bolted but i just worked on tr and it's a small crack um that if it stands alone is the 13d um but if you link the whole thing together um it's 14a and okay yeah and um and you ended up doing the whole thing on gear yeah the whole thing on gear it was it was really intimidating and kind of scary just because is it safe um i'd say it's it's pretty safe but the gear gear. is really small especially like at this first um the opening kind of like v5 bulge boulder problem of the 13c takes like really small gear like i had like what like a gray purple purple blue metolius offset cams and triple zero and um and they're hard to place they're kind of it's just difficult and i had those couple pieces rip on me one Mm. time and like you wouldn't die, but you would like I hit like a ledge and it was unpleasant. Um but <laughs> it's it's safe ish. It's said just, so casually. Yeah. It's just uh I just remember like not being able to really eat before I would like go out climbing the Damn. day. Because I'd be like so nervous. I'd be like, Oh my, oh my god. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Happy it's done. Yeah. It was it was nerve wracking. Do you think you'll ever do or seek out a hard trad climb like that again? Um, yeah. I, I mean, I want to try some, like, some more hard trad stuff, but maybe not, like, super-duper scary. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of like just being safe, <laughs> <laughs> being able to climb more. But then I get injured in a pocket in <laughs> Shelf Road, so who knows? <laughs> Chris, among your many ascents, do you have a route that has taught you the most? Um, stand out? You know, there's there are quite a few that I, I could point to teaching me certain things, but I think overall, Gambler's Fallacy probably taught me mm-hmm. the most. Um, and really, I, I thought about this today um, when you, uh, after you emailed us some questions to think about, and I think the most valuable thing I really learned from from going up to Gambler's Fallacy four seasons was that really 
we didn't know that we could do it. Hmm. You know, it wasn't like stepping up to a sport route that's pretty hard for you and thinking, oh, I might not be able to do this. This was like, you know, we might not be able to find a line here, first of all. The line we found is turning out to be a lot harder than we first thought it was going to be. How um, hard did you think it was going to be? Man, you know, <laughs> we put up this thing called Hearts and Arrows, a 12B, 10 years ago. And when we got on this thing, we were like, oh, yeah, it might be just a little bit harder. <laughs> and so we were kind of thinking it would be a 512 with um, not nearly as many hard pitches as it mm. turned out to be. And and the way it turned out, I, I, I think Bruce and I are both super pleased. With yeah. It. But so we cool. didn't sign up for it being <laughs> as hard as it was. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, like like we really both Bruce and I like we laughed a lot uh, on the very very long approach up there because, I mean there were you know basically three of the four seasons we worked on it we were kind of like, I don't know if we're gonna be able to do this thing. I mean, we kind of think we might be able to, but but we totally might get shut down. And coming to the point where that was okay hmm. that that we're actually enjoying the process enough that even if we don't do it, this shit's worth it. You know, mm. just what we're doing now, we're hiking up here, we're freezing our asses off, we're bivying, <laughs> we're swinging around on a top rope forever. You know, it was worth it. Like, even if we weren't going to do it. Mm. And so just coming to that realization together was, was actually a really um, pivotal moment in the whole process. Has Bruce done it now too? He has. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Cool. Did he do it shortly after you? Yeah, yeah, he did it um, just a few weeks later. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. What do you say to yourself when you're getting shut down by a project that you're invested in, a long-term project? Maybe in that final phase where everything's sussed, you're getting really close over and over and over again. You know, I, I mean, I hate to keep saying this, but it probably depends on the route. But and it, and it depends on, like, why have I been falling? You know, why am I not doing this yet? Because sometimes I think, well, sometimes I just get unlucky with conditions or the beaner was flipped upside down or, <laughs> you know, something happens or, or I just keep pumping out. But one of these times I'm going to make it that one extra move, you know? So sometimes it's just like luck of the draw, like it's going to happen. So I, I got just got to keep trying. It's like comes down to numbers. But that's only on a specific kind of route, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a lot less about telling yourself something and more about like focus. Mm. Because it's easy to, like, because I used to do this. I used to tell myself like, oh, this is too hard. Like, why am I even roping up again? Like, this is like silly. Like, it's not going to go down or something. Like all this like negative self-talk. When actually like you need to just like relax and like review your beta before you go up the route and try your best, you know, and mm. like be in that moment, like, like this is the move I'm doing, like, you know, and just be within a, a few moves, right? Like this move is going down and like focus on, on the moves versus like self-talk mm. in my experience. That's like, helped a lot. What's going to happen will happen and just focus on executing. Yep. Yeah. I also kind of realized over the last few years that um, I used to have rules for myself. You know, you brought this up earlier. Like I used to be like, okay, project, so two burns a day or, or it was more often three burns a day 
Like, that's just what I do. I'm going to give it three tries a day. But what I've adapted to more lately is, you know, if I really believe that I have a good burn that might yield success of whatever success at that point means to me, then yeah, this is totally worth doing. Hmm. But if I'm at a point where I'm tired enough or kind of dreading tying in for this route <laughs> one more time enough, sometimes it actually is more beneficial, I think, to just say, screw it. Hmm. I'm going to, you know, go climb a 510 I haven't climbed at this cliff, or I'm going to drink a beer, or <laughs> I'm going to drive to Red Rock, leave the VRG behind or wh whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that I used to consider anything like that. Oh, that's just giving up. Hmm. I don't think so anymore. Interesting. I, I think it's, that's cool. I think it depends on the situation. You yeah. Know? So yeah, I'm definitely more open to other possibilities than just tying in one more time yeah. for the sake of tying in one more time. That resonates with me a lot. I, I totally have an engineer's mind and I'm, really good at being a robot, which we're not robots. So it doesn't work that well. And I'm the older I get and the more I climb, the more I'm realizing the importance of really being able to listen to your body and listen to what it's telling you and adapt and be flexible. And you're right. right. I, similarly, I thought that was giving up or failing for a long time. And I've had to kind of reframe that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And it's it's not clear all, all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, some I mean, of it, my uh, yeah. like hardest red points were when I was like really tired. Yeah, and I was like, oh, there's no way this is gonna go down. And it's probably in part that mental aspect, right? Of like, it doesn't matter. I'm really tired. It's probably not gonna go. And you're like, not Nothing having any lose. expectations, and then it just happens. So I think it is a balance of like maybe you should just try it one more time and maybe if it me you know then if it goes really poorly like go have your beer and drive to red rock or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it might be worth the another try is there anything that you've changed your mind about heather chris that's something that you've changed your mind about this is a question that i had so that's this is a good segue maybe a belief about training or your approach to climbing anything that you've shifted in yeah. the last few years Definitely. Uh, so many changes. Um, yeah, like right now I've just been training in, in our little home gym and, um, I'm excited to see once the, the bone heals here on the finger, like how that translates, um, on rock, like it certainly felt really like a lot stronger and more powerful Is that climbing new for over, you? The, over the weekend. Yeah. It's new for me. I've never, climbed consistently like say on a 40 degree like bouldering wall mm. um where i'm bouldering like four times four or five times a week mm -hmm. um and i think that it's a lot smarter especially now that i do have like all these like quirky knee bar <laughs> like i have like all these techniques under my belt it would be cool to see how much i can improve with just strength and power training Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Chris, what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately? So to kind of maybe push the boundary of that question a little bit. Um, <laughs> Go for it. You know, I, I've got to say I've really come to a place um, in the last two and a half months where I've become grateful for this shoulder injury. Hmm. Um, and I hope that doesn't sound super cheesy or 
uh, something like that, but it's actually true because like Heather was saying earlier, I, I have enjoyed immensely the days that I've gone out with people I may not otherwise climb with on routes in the flat irons that are five, five that I might otherwise not do or whatever. And all that stuff has been really valuable. Additionally, it's been really valuable for me to actually learn how to hangboard with good form, hmm. which I can do with this shoulder injury. Um, I'm learning to climb more statically because that's all I can do at the moment. Um, whereas I would always have like a tiny pop at the end cause I'm just not strong enough to pull through from hold to hold, but I'm learning how to do that. And I'm getting stronger pulling from hold to hold and, and eliminating that little pop, you know? Hmm. And I believe that once this actually heals, um, I think I'm going to be a better climber for it. Amazing. Um, so yeah, that's something that surprisingly, um, I've learned to become thankful for. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I'm super grateful, like kind of on a larger scope, uh, to be healthy and to be financially stable right now. This is a crazy time for our world. And um, just to be able to feel safe and to be healthy in general and not be like, you know, well, I'm unemployed, but on my own terms. But, you know, to be able to eat and, and all these things, yeah can never take that for granted. So I'm super thankful for, for that, especially during crazy COVID times. And, um, I think that COVID's also made me thankful for climbing in general, because it is something that I do feel like you can do fairly safely Mm. if you're getting out in kind of remote areas. And it's cool that we can still have our passion in times of a pandemic. And thankful for my friends that I've been able to hang out with during COVID and keeping things light and to develop a deeper friendship with certain people because we are more limited, right? Like Mm. we don't have 8 million things going on and we can't hang out with all these people. So developing those more intimate friendships with my girlfriends here has been a blessing too. Hmm. Thank you guys both for sharing all that. Heather, you're 40. You turned 40 recently? Yes, I just turned 40 this past (laughs) April. I know. It's like a crazy thing. What do you hope the next decade of your climbing looks like? Gosh. Looking back at from 50, what do you hope to what do you hope the highlights are of your climbing? Or or maybe more in general, like what do you hope your climbing looks like for the next decade? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of crazy, but when I was approaching 40, this is like something that I guess every woman has to kind of figure out. But I basically was like, do I want to have a family or not? Do I mm-hmm. want to have a kid or not? Because this is like the end. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is too late now. But basically, 40 for me was like big decision. Like, mm-hmm. do you want a kid or not? And for me, I was like, I, w- I want to do that. And um Chris is reluctant, but he's, he's on the same page. So, um, I would love to have a child. I think that would be amazing. And I would love to be able to raise a child in, in the climbing atmosphere because I think climbing's given me so much joy. And as far as like connections with people and the outdoors and, you know, 
being able to be in touch with your body and all the mental skills, everything. So I would love to be able to like have a little climbing family. And um, so that might mean my climbing is a little bit on the back burner for like a couple years or something. But in general, I would love to keep doing what I'm doing, like pushing myself physically and mentally um, in the sport. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, just trying to get better. <laughs> that's super interesting that's uh i i almost uh I, I guess i'm fascinated by the people that feel like they really know from a younger age whether or not they want to have kids for me that's always felt like huh i have no idea not I right was, this second i was I, always so anti like a hundred percent no wow. like well not a hundred percent no but like when chris and i first met in the like dreamy infatuation stage i was like i want to have your babies and he's like yes i want to you know we'll have babies <laughs> together and all this thing you know and um and then and then i was like i don't know a year later like and then once you got to know me she's like no way <laughs> <laughs> no it was more like i was just enjoying like i didn't really have time to like i don't know so it's super busy and this was like my time to like climb and like travel and this was my time and then yeah, so for for like eight years, yeah. it was a hard no yeah. from Heather, and I was like, Whew, "Okay, <laughs> sick." <laughs> and, then, and then about a year ago, actually, it was in January this year. Boom! Yeah, the switch flipped. Wow, and that must have been a super hard conversation to bring up for you, huh? It was many hard conversations. It was many conversations. Yeah, over many months, and yeah. you know, it's definitely like the biggest decision of my life. But I just. I just know that I wouldn't want to live the rest of my life without experiencing that. Hmm. So I'm going to try. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if it happens. Have a little climbing baby. Or not. Your baby's going to come out with the neoprene rubber on, <laughs> yeah. on, on his thighs, <laughs> sticky they thighs. Have, they don't have to climb. <laughs> we can do other things too. But yeah. So we'll see if it happens. knee bar its way out of the crib. I know. <laughs> But yeah, that oh would be gosh. that would be the dream. We'll see. It's a pipe dream at this point because I am approaching forty one here this spring. So we'll see if it can even happen. But yeah, it'd be cool. Chris, any bigger, longer goals for you for the next decade with your climbing? Yeah. Um, basically, I'd I'd like to improve as a climber, and for me, I think what that'll mean is. Um, I think I have a ways to go in terms of training and getting stronger physically. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, of course, who knows what's actually going to happen. But I, I really want to try to climb a little bit harder in each genre before I'm too old to crank. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like to do a little bit of a harder sport route. I'd like to climb a few more hard multi-pitch routes. Mm. Um, I very much enjoy the process of doing new routes. And so I definitely want to keep doing that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I say for the next 10 years, I I'd really would like to focus still on performance as much as my body will let me. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like you need to focus on to make that happen? Either in your training or in the way you go about pursuing performance climbing over the next few years? I think for me, it might mean more discipline indoor training. Okay. Because I definitely go through phases with it, and I have stuck to programs for a short period of time. But I like climbing outdoors so much that that's 
what takes me away from the training. Mm. And I think um, there's plenty of room for both. But I think, for example, if I'm going to try to do a harder sport route than I've ever done before, I'm going to need to buckle down in the gym, have dedicated time to that, and not go climb a 510 in Eldo I haven't done, you know, <laughs> at least for those few months that I'm really training, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's going to just take some more discipline in terms of of hard training. Um and definitely listening to my body, you know, in terms of dealing with injuries and energy levels and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, I, th- I think um, I'm hopeful that the process of trying to get better and stronger will will be worth it in itself. You know, mm-hmm. amazing. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, yeah. sure thing. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, this is it's super... been really fun talking to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah likewise, it I was really, really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. It was really fun to connect over emails and I've, I've heard a lot about you guys over the years from Charlie and Yasna. And I feel like we've climbed in a really similar circle for a while. Really fun to finally connect. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got to actually go climbing together. I know. (laughs) That would be great. I know we do. Yeah. Hopefully we can connect in March or April. I think we'll be trying to do similar things. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. Cheers. If you want to learn more about anything we talked about in this episode, you can find videos of Chris climbing Gambler's Fallacy and Heather climbing China Doll in the show notes. I also link to all of the necessary ingredients to take your knee barring to the next level to become a knee bar wizard yourself. One product we forgot to mention in the episode, I had actually asked Chris in an email how to get the sticky residue off your thigh if you are using the pre-tape spray with your knee pads, and he recommended a product for that as well. So all of that is linked in the show notes, and as always, you can find those at thenuggetclimbing.com. I've got a follow-up call with Steve Bechtel coming this week, so keep your eye out for that. I'll put a teaser out on Thursday. Steve and I talked for about an hour and 20 minutes, so it's close to a full-length episode. It was packed full of good stuff, a lot of nuggets in there. If you want access to that, the teaser will explain everything. So again, look out for that on Thursday. And in the meantime, be safe, look out for one another, and as always, thank you so much for listening. We got the right stuff. We put the hammer right down. Wanna be like us? You better stick around. If you want it, you gotta prove it. Like we do it. Like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do. Cause no one can do it like we do. Like we do it.